A few weeks ago, we wrote a commentary about the lack of female nominations that we'd received for our Secondaries Investor titles Young Guns of Secondaries ranking of the industry's most impressive people under 36. That ranking's due out in September, and you can find previous rankings on secondariesinvestor.com. As of a couple of weeks ago, out of all the nominations we'd received, less than 3% had been for women, which was quite a shocking statistic. Thankfully, we've since received quite a lot more nominations for female participants, which has been pretty heartening to see. I'm Adam Lay, Senior Editor at Private Equity International, and in this episode of Spotlight, we're talking about women in secondaries. On a Friday evening in early July, we convened some experts from the secondaries world representing the buy side, sell side, legal side, as well as from Level 20, an organisation that promotes gender diversity in private equity. The conversation was enlightening and educational, to say the least. Here it is. So can I just open up, I guess, the first question to to you all? I mean, secondaries is such a a young, innovative, creative kind of part of the private equity market. Why do we think that there are so few women? Well, I can start maybe, Adam, by throwing back to you. That's Kate Ashton, a partner at law firm Debevoise, who has worked on some of the secondaries industry's biggest deals. I was very surprised by that statistic because in my experience, there are a lot of women in secondaries. It's complicated, it's technical, it's somewhat specialised area of private equity, but it depends very much on interpersonal dynamics because particularly in the complex secondaries, you need to construct a solution that's win-win for all parties. And frankly, I think women are often very good at that. So I was surprised by your statistic. And I wonder if perhaps it may be women are less likely to put themselves forward or, I hate to say it, perhaps their organisations are less likely to think of them for nominations for awards. I do wonder whether, in fact, there are fewer women in the secondaries field than in other areas of private equity where women remain dolefully underrepresented, but I don't know that it's disproportionately true for secondaries. I wouldn't necessarily say it's worse in secondaries than it is in other areas, but I was also really shocked, Adam, I must say, like by the statistics that you had published. This is Johanna Lottman, a managing director at advisory firm PJT Park Hill, who has advised on some of the biggest European GP-led deals around. And it's probably also to Kate's point, I agree, women are known for being a little bit less pushy when it comes to self-promotion, you know, putting their profile out there speaking out loud and being a little bit more uh, forthcoming and uh, potentially aggressive about it. The other point I would say, another factor is that our industry, at least historically, has not necessarily recruited out of universities directly, right? Barely do you see a first-year analyst in secondary straight out of university. They typically are lateral hires. They come from M&A background or like generalist legal or so like, you know, that, that better clearly. It's at that point a challenge to take that talent pool and convert it into secondaries. And also here again, women are just a little bit less likely to take that jump. So I'm sure there are beautiful statistics around it, how females are less likely to return a headhunter's call than the guys might be. They're more risk averse. They may not want to jump so easily. They're more loyal to their employers as long as they feel that they are somewhat being treated sufficiently well enough. So I think there are are lots of issues and um, some might be more difficult to tackle than others. But I think like what should be an obvious one is we just need to make sure that as employers, we get in front of the young talent at the very early stages and educate the world out there, like how amazing our industry is indeed and, and the opportunities that provides also for women. 
I mean, I, I just want to pick up on that point that, that you were both making about perhaps it, there are more lateral hires to get into the secondaries industry. So are, are you sort of saying, and, and, and George um, and Martha, I'd love to hear your, your views on this too, that because secondaries is quite a kind of young industry and maybe young people who are studying uh, their MBAs, whatever, they don't, they don't know about the existence of it, it's more likely that they will go into banking first or an M&A or something like that before they discover, or even mainstream private equity, before they discover the existence of secondaries and therefore jump into it. And by that stage, you know, there are a few women um, in that talent pool. Am I correct in understanding that? I agree. I mean, I know from our experience, when we do try to hire women from university. Many don't know what secondaries are. You're hearing Martha Heitman, a partner at Switzerland-based asset manager LGT Capital Partners, which is one of the biggest investors in secondaries globally. Right, they know what direct buyouts are and they know what primaries are, but secondaries is an esoteric topic that they don't know anything about. And it is about going there, going to universities, teaching and you know, hand-holding these candidates to make sure that they've find out what secondaries is about, what we can offer. Also, I think it's important to have that awareness also in investment banking analyst programs and, and other kinds of uh, younger recruits so that they understand that the path is not just investment banking to direct buyout funds, but there's also a path to secondaries and it's also transactional, right? I think many people like direct uh, buyout funds because they think that, that it's on the deal side and they can get deals done. But the reality is many people don't know that on, on secondaries, you have a higher conversion rate in terms of deals done than on the buyout side, right? Look, um, let me just give you a couple of observations. The male voice you just heard is George Anson, who's chair of Level 20, a non-profit organisation that promotes gender diversity and private equity. Anson also spent more than 25 years at Harbourvest Partners, a giant in the secondaries industry, and remains a senior advisor to the firm. I'll just make the Harbourvest one. You, you mentioned this being a young, innovative industry. I don't know if you mean in terms of the age of how long secondaries have been going. It just it naturally attracts young people. But wearing my Harbourvest hat, we did our very first secondary in 1986. We didn't call it that. We just called it a secondhand primary. And what we found worked in our organisation is the the great crossover of information between our primary investment team, which had a lot of females on it, these guys who were doing these sort of secondhand deals, and our co-investment team, which tend to be very male. But working together, we coalesced around a sort of secondary organization, which was probably the most data-hungry part of the organization. They were constantly sucking information out of our primary team and our co-invest team to arrive at pricing and all that sort of stuff. So it was a great way for us to leverage off of the knowledge base that we had and we raised our first dedicated secondary fund in 1990. Small, but it was our first fund. So I think the secondary industry has been going for a long time. But more, more importantly, what this is all about is why aren't there more women? And, and look, that's why Level 20 was created. It, for, for many years, there were a number of senior women in the industry who were saying, why aren't there more senior women involved in the private equity world? I was there as well, and I would constantly ask my partners and colleagues, why aren't there more women on your team? And, you know, the constant refrain is sort of the, you know, it's a dedicated 24-7 business, blah, blah, blah. That's not an excuse anymore. The answer is here is, you, you know, you really got to think about the long term and the talent that you're hiring. The interesting point that Joanna made about recruiting at university or MBA business school level is that one of Level 20's main platforms and pillars is what we call outreach, which is going to universities, even sixth form colleges, and telling them what private equity and venture capital is. Not necessarily what a career is, but just what is it? 
And that's been proved really illuminating. I don't know how we're ever going to be able to measure that through sixth form all the way into their first job, but at least creates you know, some knowledge about the opportunities that are out there. And, and the interesting statistic that came from that is a lot of these younger women were really interested in venture capital because this was a sort of innovative, sharp edge of you know, creative thinking, which I think is sort of you know, what lends itself to the secondary world as well, is what Kate said. You know, you have to come up with creative solutions to the problem. And I think, you know, women are, are very good at that. I actually have a quick question um, for you, George, in terms of uh, Level 20. I don't know. Does, I know that Level 20 obviously um, has statistics on female participation in private equity. Have you seen or has anybody else seen any statistics on um, women p- participation in secondaries? Look, not specifically in secondaries, but if I can draw a couple of parallels here. When we did the original survey in 2017 that was published in 2018, at senior levels, the representation of women was about 6%. It was pretty low. If you went down to the next mid-tier, it was about 16%. And then encouragingly, at the entry level, it was about 35%. So that's kind of the good news. But the, the bad news is, is, well, what happens? You know, there's this attrition rate that goes through it. And I think all you ladies probably can you know, know the choices you have to make, right? Is it a career? Is it family? Is it both? How do we make it work? We then also did a survey on the LP side. And there the percentage of senior women was around 21%. And I think we all know this, you know, there's more senior women as LPs than there are on the deal doing side in the GP environment. So I think the secondaries are probably somewhere in between. I don't have any specific statistics about that, but I'd like to think it's, it's more than 6%. As Kate says, you know, that, you know, you were surprised and I would agree with you that I think there probably are more women involved in the secondary side than what your initial analysis came out with. But I don't think it's up to the LP level either. Yeah, I guess, Adam, like one, one of the inherent problems probably also of the industry is, I mean, it is fast paced, as Martha said, like the, the high success rate of completion. But by definition, it's a transaction driven environment and it's fast paced. And I think everyone needs to decide for themselves whether that's an environment that they will enjoy or not. I mean, if I, you know, you can also compare it a little bit with the fundraising side. I think like there on the placement agent side, you might maybe also find a slightly higher representation of women. And I would say like that is to some extent lifestyle, maybe it's not the right word, but it's, it's a choice that they're also consciously making because the visibility on, you know, you have 12 months to do the fundraising and, and everything is a little bit slower. So I think like our world is more closely related to the dynamic that we see on the M&A side and it's just a matter of fact that we work on transactions sometimes we have to work crazy hours um, I'd like to think and I think like the current crazy environment is actually a, a beautiful proof that we can work flexibly and we can work around our family constraints and Martha has a her kids in, in, in the background and we still can can all continue and I think we all agree productivity has been really high in recent month and we all juggle our family commitments and, and or whatever private commitments that may be it may not necessarily be to be family I think that is very encouraging and hopefully we can also use that as a message to the female community and, and the younger women out there to say that look you can work around it but bottom line I would say it's naive to think that this is an industry that will ever be sort of a nine-to-five environment. Like So I think you need to embrace the fact that it is hard work. We all went through it. I think we all worked. We had our, All of us had our fair share of, uh, you know, and not, not attending parties and working throughout weekends and late nights and all of this. And it's a decision you always have to retake. 
but I hope that more women will see not only the scary downside of that lifestyle choice, but also the upside of being part of this amazing and fast growing industry that, you know, we're, we're growing at a Kega significantly in excess probably of most of the financial industry out there. It's just so exciting to be part of it. And yeah, I think at this stage, you know, I would never consider dropping out of it because there's just so much more development that we can proactively create. Well, what part of private equity is nine to five, right? It's part of the job and that's part of the industry. Uh, whether you're in finance, investment banking, you're in the law firm or you're in the buy side, sell side, that, that's the fact, right? And But as long as people understand your situation and you can work around it, you know, I have a family, Johanna has a family I know of. So it is possible. It's just that you have to be able to work around a certain schedule. And I think maybe a lot of young women don't realize that and they just think that we're in this hamster wheel and you know it is what it is and that's how you have to work but a lot of people have to realize that that it is possible to have a balance between family and career it's just how you prioritize things i also think it's quite important to have role models and more senior women and i know this is true for many of the women who were involved in founding level 20 together with george and others feel a responsibility to be visible to talk to younger people to talk to younger women and men about their careers how they got involved in things and how they've managed to in most cases maintain a happy life alongside happy and successful careers and i think that that's very important and it seems somehow to be more important for women in my experience, to see that other women have made it work. If I um, just make a comment, if you look at the Level 20 website, and there's a number of interviews there, it's under the heading of Inspiring Women. And these are successful business women across the whole spectrum of private equity. So whether it's fund to funds or secondaries or co-investment venture. And, you know, they all talk about not only the role model or sponsor within the firm, doesn't have to be necessarily a woman, it could be a man, but someone who is, that they admire and you know, feels like has got their back. But the other thing is the culture, that you're not trying to fit into a boys club, you know, try to be a man, right? If you're talking to senior men in these organizations who have more entrenched attitudes, their question is, well, why? Why does it matter? And the simple answer is, if you look at the McKinsey study that came out in June this year, if you have a more diverse team with more than 30% of women involved in your team, your returns are better. Now, this is done by a third-party organization here. This isn't Level 20 or some other organization with an agenda. They have proved that having a more diverse team, and it can be beyond gender as well, will improve your results. Now, to my mind, that's the most compelling argument you can have here. And then it, then that seeps back into, well, what do we have to do then to attract more women? And that often is changing the culture and making sure that you have the proper feedback mechanism within your organization so that younger people, men and women, know where they're heading in the organization and it's transparent. I actually think that secondaries is well suited for women because you have to multitask. You have to work on, you know, sometimes three, four, five transactions at the same time because you, we're reviewing, you know, 400, 500 transactions per annum, right? So you have to work very quickly and screen through transactions, understand which ones you have an angle and then go for it. That may be, you know, three, four, five transactions at a time. So this multitasking aspect is actually better suited for women. I, I think it's just the reality that many women just don't know what secondaries is and what is the day-to-day 
what are you actually doing? You know, you know what secondaries is and step two is what are you actually doing on a day-to-day -day basis? You know, it's a mix of looking for deals, being on the road, talking to GPs, a mix of primaries, a bit of co-investments because you're looking at companies on a bottom-up basis. And then a mix of M&A because you have to close the transaction, you have to do the negotiation, the structuring, the, the closing of transactions. But the reality is a lot of people don't know what it is, right? I don't think the pace or, or anything is negatively suited towards women at all. Yeah, I agree. I also think that what is really nice about our industry and, we, and between us, we talk about it separately as well. It's actually a very friendly environment like and I think there are just so many lovely people generally good guys and and women working in our industry and it doesn't I can certainly think of other areas of finance where I would have thought like it's far more aggressive and gloves off type environment so I think like also for us as a woman I don't like shouting at people like so it's 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 quite a pleasant environment to be working in in secondaries and sometimes we do come across situations where you can feel like oh actually the tone can also be quite Quite different, not necessarily with a better result, I would say. I agree with you. I think that it's a relatively small community still. We come across one another all the time. You're working against and or for or with the same people. And as a result, it's important to balance your objectives, build long-term reputation. You don't go in and alienate people. I mean, that's never a good idea in any area of business, but I think it's particularly true in secondaries. If you're a private equity executive working on a big buyout, you may have more of a win or lose, get this deal done at all costs sense than the people in the secondaries world who usually want to maintain a relationship with, say, the GP that they're investing in or, or whoever, whichever side they're on. I mean, if you, if you look at the, the participants of, of this podcast, um, we have represented the, the investment side, the advisory side and the legal side. And George, I'm including you in, in those three categories. Is there anything, I suppose, that, that lends itself, I suppose, more towards a female participation in, in any of those three specializations? And, and I guess the question, the, the context behind this is for our Young Guns nominations over the past five years, most of the female uh, nominees have been actually from, from law firms. Now, I don't know if there's a higher proportion of, of, of women in focusing on secondaries of law firms, uh, but that's just been the, the nature of the nominations we've received. So I'd be very keen to, to hear your thoughts on, you know, the, the splits between the three specialisations and if there's any anything to discuss about that. I do think there are slightly more women in law firms than there are in private equity generally. I don't want to say the legal industry has solved all these problems, but I think it draws from a slightly different pool. It draws directly from university and women know what being a lawyer means. So there are more women, still not enough, but more women in law firms. So that's one reason. Another reason I would think is that you don't have to specialize quite as drastically in a law firm. So you can be involved in secondaries, you can sort of gravitate towards secondaries, as many people, including myself, have done over a career. You don't have to actually put yourself in a specialized area at an, a young age in the way you might have to do if you're in a private equity firm. But I, I'd be interested in Martha and George and Johanna's views. I mean, from my perspective, 
I think that definitely helps. The fact that you know law firms they are recruiting from juniors and then from university and then they're all in a pool and then they start to specialize, right? You know what we've found is that we also have an analyst program. Now we start to also hire from university and then we have them specialize into their specific you know private equity world. And I think that definitely helps, right? Because people don't know what secondaries are, co-investments, and, and etc. So. It definitely helps to aid recruit from university to have a bigger pool. I think in general, it's not just secondaries, but the investment side just has a, a lack of women in general. It's not just private equity, and it, it's also hedge funds and venture and buyouts. So it's an endemic problem in general. But I think as we have more and more role models and sponsors, as George mentioned, and and we have more awareness, hopefully as time goes by. We'll have more and more、uh, women rising up the ranks from the analyst position and up to managing director and beyond.、Um, just, just to make a point, I mean, actually, there are a lot of women that work in the private equity industry. There just aren't that many women that work specifically in the investment role. So you see uh, plenty of uh, very talented women working in the investor relations, client services. Uh, finance operations side of of private equity firms. I think what we're talking about here today is a very you know small part of the investment side, which is secondaries. But I would agree is underrepresented by women. So let let's not get too negative about it. There are a lot of successful women in private equity. There's just not that many on the investment side. Since we wrote the commentary uh, about uh, women in secondaries, we actually had some market participants、uh, write into us and highlighted the fact that the term "young guns" is actually a very male-centric term, and that over the years they had been rather disappointed that this term was、um, was not very inclusive. And in the interests of you know inclusion and diversity, would we consider changing the name? So internally here at at PEI,、uh, we did discuss it, and we are going to actually change the name of of the Young Guns list. Before I say anything else, I would love to get your thoughts on, I guess, this in general, and and sort of how how important is language when we're talking about、um, things like inclusivity and promoting diversity.、Uh, that's actually quite、uh, amusing to some extent, but obviously it's a serious subject. Personally, it never occurred to me, or I never thought for a second, that young guns would not be an inclusive term. So that that didn't occur to me for a second. But I must say, what I find. Quite irritating is some language being used, and you would never hear it from a woman. I think like when you know when guys get pregnant with a situation, or like they get pregnant with a deal, all of this. I find that very irritating. So I think like there's a little bit of a catching up that、um, our male counterparts can do in that regard. Yeah, I think what you're touching on here is the un- what we call unconscious bias. For instance, everybody refers to the collective as guys. Well, you're not all guys, you know. And we try very hard at level twenty to be a little more gender neutral. So I'm not the chairman of level twenty. I'm the chair. My fellow directors are not ladies; they are directors. And we try, you know, to to keep it on that level playing field. We don't want to go too far, you know, overboard on the correctness here. But I think you've got to start somewhere and recognize, you know, how you want to be. You would want to be treated if you were sitting on the other side of the table, and and react accordingly. You know, it's small incremental steps like this that help eliminate this unconscious bias that creeps into it. And look, I'm a 60-year-old white male, and I'm just probably I've been as guilty of this in the past as anybody else. But we can all learn, and we can all change. I think the tricky thing with unconscious biasness is that people don't even realize 
the uh, biasness in the language or in the in the article or in how they refer to each other, right? So it's about the awareness of what unconscious biasness is. You know, we all have it, but we we don't recognize it. I think when you start recognizing the sensitivities towards others and not just gender, but also other minorities and other ethnic groups, then there is a certain awareness that brings the whole organization up, right? But without this training and awareness of unconscious mindedness, that's why I, I completely agree with George. And that is step one, because when we talk about DNI issues at LGT, it has to first start with what exactly are those issues? What is unconscious biasness? What is the biasness that I have that I don't even know or recognize? Because I think I'm being a very fair person, you know, a person that is aware about these issues. And the language that you use or the, the sort of thoughts or, or actions that you take may be different, right? And you don't even realize that that's affecting other people. Johanna, you, you, you touched on how this new situation that we all find ourselves in because of the coronavirus crisis has changed things. And I just want to explore that a little bit more. Do, do you think that there's an opportunity here for obviously more, you know, working from home, more flexible uh, working, that kind of thing. Could that be kind of an opportunity that um, the industry could seize? I hope so. I certainly hope so. I mean, a part of me thinks like it, it, it won't be too long and we, we're all back in our old ways and we'll have a preference for physical meetings and people have a low pain threshold to get on a flight and, and go somewhere to meet people in person. But I do hope that at least part of the current awareness of how productive we all are from our kitchen tables and bedrooms and wherever we might be working from will persist. Looking at, at my team, actually one of our analysts, like a, a female analyst, she's in Singapore. So we're working around the time zones there, right? We need to make sure that we can adapt for that. But she obviously should be with her family and then others are in Scotland, others are in France. And we just need to make sure that we get together on a daily basis, ideally via video. And then in between there are lots of discussions. But look, if a woman or a man want to go to the gym in between or like uh, do the school run or so, I really couldn't care less as long as we can make certain commitments to being there for important joint Zoom calls or meetings, that is good enough. And also what I've learned, I guess, like over the years, and it makes me feel quite a bit older, is like indeed also the, the male analysts. I mean, they, they want to do their yoga classes or their, their Pilates or like they have other things that are just very, very, very important to them, just important as it is to me to be there like when one of my kids has a school performance we should never assume that what is important to us like is indeed more important than what other people have in mind and may that be a junior female or senior female or whatever that may be in that regard we need to move away from some sort of gender differentiation i find i think in fact in the current crisis many of the young men in in our firm that i talk to are perhaps exasperated by trying to work with small children in the house, but also very much appreciating the time with their children. And I think some of, I hope, many of those men will continue to use some of the flexibility to spend more time uh, as active parents with their children, as well as the women. Yeah, I agree. I think that is really encouraging. We heard from so many males that, I mean, it's probably for, for many first time in their careers that they know what it's like to handle with the kids in parallel to doing their calls. And we all see like it, it works. We are a bit more flexible. Sometimes the calls are a little bit less professional than they would be if we were all sitting uh, with our suits and so in a conference room, but it works. So I think like it's a, it's a great educational piece for some of our male counterparts who didn't necessarily have to have that multitasking that maybe some of us um, females are used to. 
But I think flexible working is not a gender issue. It's not a diversity issue. It's just a topic for all staff. It's a workforce issue. And if you want to attract the best talent or you know, people who, who can provide the best for your certain sector on their own terms, then that should be possible, right? Whether they're male or female is irrelevant. This is just a, a general issue, flexible working. People shouldn't think of it as just women wanting this, right? That's the point. Listening to what you're saying is, I think, I'm not going to call it return to work, but going back to the office, if you like, I think we're, we've all experienced how much we learn from working with our peers. You know, when I was younger, I learned a lot from the older guys, just being close to them and listening to how they thought about, invest. I used the word guys, didn't I? I shouldn't have done that. We're working with my peers and my, my other co-workers and listening to the deal talk and how things got done. I think it's going to be important that that somehow is maintained. And I was on an advisory uh, council call today with Level 20, talking to some senior partners, and they're thinking about uh, being in the office on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then Monday and Wednesday are more flexible days, and Friday is you know something else. But it, it's trying to get that team building team cooperation feeling back into the organization because you know zoom calls don't quite get you there yeah so everybody's always saying that uh, the private equity is a, a relationships business and uh, i have the impression that secondaries is perhaps even more so just because uh, it's a smaller um sort of community as kate i think you, you were saying at the beginning as well I, I want to actually end on two sort of topics the first is i wonder if um any of you have any advice for young female professionals who are considering a career in secondaries i mean we've assembled some of the most prominent people in the industry here so um what advice would you would you have to them i think i could pick up on the point i made earlier which is don't go in with can I say, dare I say, guns blazing. You're not going to win by crushing the other side. These are often multi-party negotiations. It's a small world. Balance your objectives. Try to build long-term reputation for quality and integrity. And that will stand you in good stead throughout your career rather than focusing on short-term gains. For the younger women in the industry or like those that are considering it, it's just to have a certain stamina and like hey, don't be scared don't be afraid don't let anyone tell you that you that you're not strong enough or that you can't do it or that it is indeed more of a male environment so why even bother try not to listen to them and then don't give up too quickly i mean it is an industry i mean as we discussed like we all went through our tough times and certainly personally there were quite a few moments that became gradually less over the years where i thought like why am I doing this? Like, and I, and I, and I had it all and I'm, I'm fed up with it. Having someone there who reminds you, like, look, stick to it and don't give up and it will get better. And, and you will remember those words, which I do 15 years in, in, into the role, basically, made always a big difference. We were talking about, I mean, role models and career sponsors. And on that one, having role models obviously is fantastic. I must tell you personally, I didn't necessarily have a female role model where I thought like, look, I mean, she made it and I'm looking up to her and I want to be like her. I didn't have that, but on the other hand, I didn't, I didn't miss it because I always felt like I had fantastic career sponsors, males, where I thought like they generally want to take care of me. I remember discussions with my career sponsors where they said like, Johanna, you just need to, like behind the scenes, just on this one, for this discussion, just 
push a little bit more. And I needed that at that point in my career. And I'm eternally grateful for it. So having a career sponsor, someone you can trust who will take care of you and who will guide you a little bit on how you can negotiate for certain things, you know, may that also be compensation and promotion and, and tough subject like that makes all the difference. So don't give up, uh, stay strong and try to identify that career sponsor for yourself. And that might be formally your career sponsor or, or sponsor, or it might be just a buddy that you have in the industry. I think apart from just career sponsor or someone more senior, somebody who is also at your level, someone who can understand, you know, what tribulations and obstacles you're overcoming is important because that person will be helping you to understand things from a different perspective or, or hand-holding you throughout a process that might be a little bit more difficult. For me, it's been critical that I've had also sort of a, a counterparty that I can talk to when I'm encountering a certain situation, whether it's you know professional or, or personal in the work-life balance situation. So having that, I think that peer in the firm or within the industry is also critical. And when you're when you go into a certain industry, whether it's secondaries or direct or whatever, it doesn't matter. But as a young woman, you should find that career sponsor, but you should also find that peer that can be a trusted person and you can bounce off ideas. You know, you can work through, because you're going to go through very similar things. You're going to face this unconscious biasness that we talked about. So, so these similar situations you can sort of discuss. And I've certainly done that with a, a peer of mine as well. Maybe all I'd add is I think it's a great time to be a female looking to start a career in the private equity world. It's changed out of all recognition in the last 20 years, 30 years. And there are so many more opportunities out there and, you know, all the roadblocks that are in the way and the hurdles that have been encountered by, you know, your predecessors, a lot of them now are being dismantled or, or at least acknowledged. That's a big change in the industry right now so that you can have a grown-up discussion about why don't we have more senior women in our organization and come up with some constructive solutions. I might also add, secondaries is a great place to be. Despite the current crisis, I think secondaries is poised to grow even more and help the world and the markets recover from this this terrible period. And so I'm actually very optimistic about our sector. And for that reason also, it's a great time and a, for a young woman to enter it. I can certainly uh, attest to the fact that secondary is a great place to be. Uh, certainly as a journalist, it's a fantastic industry to, to cover. It's never a boring day in the secondaries market. I'm, I'm also just really keen to hear what some of the most prominent women in secondaries think are the biggest issues facing the, the secondaries market today. Maybe from an advisor's point of view, I would say there's not enough capital out there, which sometimes maybe is, is counterintuitive to some extent, because if you just compare the numbers like deal volume versus uh, the money that is out there to be the dry powder, there is uh, clearly a capital overhang. On the other hand, we, we all think that the growth trend will continue for the secondary industry, certainly also on the back of the most recent developments. There are just so many transactions where I'm just concerned. It's like, is there enough money out there? Or like, are the programs that we are working with on the buy side to some extent overly restricted to participate in the type of transactions that we would like to bring to the market. So I think like our concern has been for many years, like how can we convert certain pools of capital out there to participate in secondary transactions? But I mean, there are so many transactions that we look at and we think like, oh my God, like this is 
two, three, four billion plus, like how are we going to finance that deal? That to me is like a, a key challenge, but I, I see it as a positive challenge because I see it as, as a bit of a luxury problem. Um, it's not for lack of opportunities for deployment. It's more like, like, can we please find the money to finance all of the amazing opportunities that we would like to bring to the market? I, I completely agree that you know, secondary is long-term is very interesting. If you think about how much primary commitments have been made in the last 10 years or even five years, that's going to be fueling the secondary market clearly going forward. But today, with COVID, clearly that has had an impact on the secondary volume, right, and transaction volume. And what is the, the crux of the problem? The problem is the bid-ask spread. Why is there such a spread? It's because buyers have no certainty about NAVs, about exits, about distributions, to be able to underwrite what's going to happen in the future. Before, last year, for example, it was much easier because there was only one way that NAVs were going that was up, right? And that was also driven because of the public markets doing so well. Today, there is very little visibility. Some funds may be being written up, other funds are being written down, and there is no trend, right? And with that trend, lack of trend, it's very difficult for buyers to underwrite that uncertainty and that risk. And that means that with buyers walking away, sellers are also waiting to see what's going to happen. They, they don't want to transact at big discounts or at valuations they think they're leaving too much on the table. I think right now the biggest issue is really narrowing this bid-ask spread that we see between buyers and sellers. And that's part of the reason why the capital ring that Johanna was talking about, there's a lot of buyers that are just frozen, right? If there's no certainty and no visibility, buyers don't want to take a chance. Might as well wait because then time is on your side as a buyer. It's better to wait, you know, one or two months or two quarters, and then you can see once that you hit a J curve and things are moving up again, then to buy rather than on the up, then while things are still going down, right? Kate, shall we head to you for the um, for the final word? Keen to know the biggest issues in, I suppose, in, in the legal side of things, but anything that you have on your mind as well? I agree with everything that has been said. I would say secondaries, because they are developing and there's so many different structures and different ideas, that it's a diffuse and a hard-to-define area. And that's one of the reasons, just to circle back to our very beginning, that's one of the reasons I think that there may be fewer women coming into it because secondaries needs to find itself, make itself better known as a dynamic, fascinating and powerful area. And that will in turn help bring more talent into it as well as more people looking and structuring deals in it. Uh, wise words from from the four of you. Thank you all for participating in today's discussion. It's been uh, very enlightening, I can say. Uh, thank you to Martha Heitman, to George Anson, to Kate Ashton, and to Johanna Lotfen for your time and taking the time to talk to Secondary Semester and PEI. <laughs>